Good morning. How's everybody today? If you have your Bibles, please open them up to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse number 17 today. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse number 17. Um, we, I, I, I have a, I have it on a good word that uh, we have a couple November birthdays we want to recognize today. So our very own uh, worship leader and pastor, Brian Armstrong, who's trying to hide at the very moment, is uh, headed to the youth room. And where'd he go? Oh, that turkey there. He's coming back. All right. Hey, so uh, I want you guys to help me wish Brian a 26th, uh, happy 26th birthday to this week. And then I understand we have somebody else turning 26. Who else turned 26 today? Oh, Rick, you're turning 26. Me, you, and Brian. Yeah. Somebody was asking me about my age the other day, and they could tell that I wasn't telling them the truth. And they kept asking me, they're confused. And I said, okay, I lie about my age, all right? Leave me alone. Uh, where are you at? Cassie, I see you back there. Happy 26th birthday today. Will you stand up? All right. And then Allie, later in the month? Come on, stand up. We're going to sing for you, too. And anybody else, November birthdays? November birthday, stand up, please. So we the folks. Um, Eva Sue, will you get us started on a happy birthday? When we get to the names, just, I don't know, pick one and say it. I don't know. We got Mark, Allie, Brian, Cassie, who stand up and uh, sat down, is going to stand up again for us. Um, all right. Uh, oh, another November birthday. Okay. So, uh, go ahead when you're ready. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Yeah, hey, stay standing. Don't sit down. I didn't say sit down. Stand up. Let me, can I pray for your birthdays, November birthdays? Can I pray for you? Can we as a church pray for them? Father, we thank you for everybody who's standing who's celebrating a November birthday. God, we love them, and we pray your blessing over this, this month, this birthday, that it would just be an amazing, blessed uh, birthday, and that this would be the best year ever of their lives of serving Jesus, of growing in you, of blessing, of, of victory. And Lord, I just ask a super blessing over this coming year and that each person standing would enjoy this 27th year of life in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Some of you are offended by that, that I haven't quite got to 27 yet. All right. We love you guys. Happy birthday. Hey, tonight, real quick, I just want to highlight the Matt Baird concert. Um, so Matt is formerly of Spoken, and he does kind of a speaking, singing um, uh, concert tonight. It's an hour long from 6 to 7. At 7, we're going to do a, um, an ice cream bar. So I want to apologize for a couple things. I'm just going to go ahead and lay them all out there right now. But um, I, I, had, I was confusing in the way that I worded the advertisement that I put together. Um, technically, the concert, everything is totally free tonight. Please come. There's no cost. It's our gift to you. Um, secondly, we will receive a $5 suggested donation for an ice cream bar that we're going to do after the concert tonight. So, um, again, but so everybody come out six to seven, we're going to, um, enjoy the Matt Baird concert. And then from at seven, we're going to enjoy desserts and, uh, I mainly ice cream. I called it a dessert bar and somebody said, Oh, you're going to have cake. And I said, no, it's ice cream. They said, well, why'd you call it a dessert bar? I said, I don't know, I guess cause I'm dumb. Why did I, I don't know. It's a dessert bar. And why did you say it was a free event that cost $5? Because I want you to give $5 for the ice cream. I don't know. Maybe somebody else should place the Facebook ads. 
And then I said you guys were all cheapskates if you didn't buy a cup of coffee today. Anybody catch that? Yeah. I was trying to guilt you a little bit into buying a cup of coffee today, but I really don't believe anybody's a cheapskate. I love you guys. And if you don't buy a $4 cup of coffee, you're probably uh, the smart ones in here, the frugal ones in here. But um, my, my, my financial advisor, good friend of mine, not on a professional level, more on a friend level, but he, uh, he says, yeah, you don't have no money because you buy them $4 coffees. I said, yeah, I enjoy life. I'm going to die young. Enjoy my $4 coffees. Uh, all right. Hey, let's, uh, let, why don't we study the word? How about that, huh? Hey, we love you guys. We're super glad you're here. Um, we, we had a wonderful celebration last week. And again, if anybody was uh, new and didn't quite get it, we, uh, we thank you for your patience. But it just was a great Sunday. And I really felt like it was a, a time for us as a church that we needed that, that we deserved that. You guys earned that. And God is so generous. You know, the very fact that we have a coffee shop, you guys know that, that everything in the coffee shop, apart from the church and you guys' donations, was donated. We, so it was a project that we said we were going to tackle when we get to that point. We hadn't got there yet. We didn't have the funds yet enough to be able to get the coffee shop to where it is. And some folks, some very generous folks, stepped in. And, and they all the things that are anything to do with the coffee shop at this point has been donated separate for that. So, again, thank you for those that have been a part of that. Um, as a blessing, the vision, again, the $4 coffees. Hopefully it'll just cover the expense of doing the coffee shop, and eventually we're going to um, we're going to uh, try to add some some breakfast sandwiches, some croissants, some yogurts, some bananas, so that you can come a few minutes early. You can get a little continental breakfast. You can get your fancy coffee. Hopefully the foyer and the back room will have some furniture where you can hang out and try to. And, and again, the purpose of all that, you guys. Again, has nothing to do with making money. We, we don't try to make money with the cafe or any of those things. What we're trying to do is we're trying to promote friendship and fellowship among you guys. As you become Christ followers, and as you, you know, one of the things that happens is maybe, you know, and I know, I know lots of folks. I could look around. I could point some people out. Um, five years ago, we're not um, really coming to church on a regular basis. We weren't walking with Jesus. Now they are. But, but all their friends and their circles and their life is still doing the things they did, not judging them, not bad things. It's just they're moving in a different direction. And, and so part of becoming a Christ follower that's, that's valuable is having other people that are moving in the same direction, that have the same goals, believe the same things. And so we, we as a church are, are really in a season that we want to start really focusing on that. We're going to start in January, and this is kind of new announcement. Nothing is official yet. We're going to start what we're going to call some life groups, Bible studies, where we're going to try to get people that are in this kind of same life groups together to try to promote fellowship. And we're going to do it around food and around, and our whole purpose, we're going to keep it Christ-centered, we're going to keep it in the Word and keep it about Jesus. But really the heart of what we're trying to do is to promote friendships in our church and fellowship and get to know people. You know, and it's really biblical. In Acts 2.42, we have a basic principle of how um, the early church was called to function by the Holy Spirit. And there was four principles that God laid out in Acts 2.42. Two of the four principles had to do with fellowship among the believers. They had to do with reading the word and, and, and praying and doing these things. But two of the four um, had to do with the way that we're just friends and love each other. Amen? Amen. Hey, tomorrow we are recognizing Veterans Day, so we would like to recognize our veterans today. So if you are um, or have currently served, currently or have served as a veteran of the armed forces anywhere in the United States, will you please stand now so we can recognize you as a church?
stay standing, please. I'd like to pray for you guys before you sit down. So, okay, there's one. There's another one. Yeah, so if anybody's sitting next to you, they haven't stood yet, the shy ones, give them a little elbow, ask them to stand so we can recognize them. It's not for you. It's for us. So first of all, um, if, if you're standing now, we, we love you. We appreciate you. We, we thank you for your service. Um, we, we understand that freedom is not free and that freedom comes at a great price and the price that you that are standing have paid for this country and that for the rest of us, we get to take our kids to baseball games and eat apple pie and do these things because of the sacrifices that you guys have made to keep our country free. And, you know, I got a lot of Marine friends and they always remind me, you know, you get, just be thankful you don't speak German. As you would if it wasn't for the Marine Corps. So I'm thankful I don't speak German, and um, I'm thankful for all you folks. So, again, it is our heart to, to love you guys and thank you and appreciate your service. So as a church, can we uh, maybe just stand in the hand of a faith and towards someone here standing? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all these men and women who have served our country, who are standing as our veterans. God, we recognize them today. We thank them for their service. Lord, we pray a super blessed Veterans Day over them. Lord, I know many of these men and women maybe have face some, some real combat and some difficult things in life that have caused some, some struggles, Lord, and some, some confusion. And so, Father, we pray over them. We pray over anybody that has any kind of PTSD issues or any kind of post, post-war kind of things that are going on, God. We ask for healing and blessing and victory over their lives. And, God, that you would give them just complete peace. And we love you and we, we thank you for them and, and ask your blessing over all of our veterans now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless you guys. All right, so here we at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. So as we pick up today for the sermon today, we are taking, this will be the last part, I promise. We've really slowed down in Hebrews chapter 11, which I said we would. I warned you that once we got to Hebrews 11, so much of Hebrews has been um, lots of theology and doctrine and, and really heavy things. And, and as you get to 11, one of the things is, is um, if Paul wrote Hebrews, I believe he did. And if he didn't, whoever wrote it, wrote it in a very similar fashion as the Apostle Paul. So one of the things that happens in the Bible is that they give you a lot of information, doctrine, that things that are true about God and about the Bible. And then they come to a section called the therefore. And we get this therefore word in the Bible, and that's the application. Therefore, since these things, this is how you apply it to your lives. And some things we read in the Bible can be information, and other things can be very just practical day-to-day living. And as we get to chapter 11, Paul spent a lot of time through Hebrews with the nuts and bolts and the technical stuff. And as we get to 11, 12, and 13, we get to this section that is very practical and very applicable to our lives. And 11, as you know, is, is basically, in a nutshell, if I could keep it as simple as possible, is to live your life as a walk of faith. Somebody say, by faith. So you're to live your life by faith. And then Paul painstakingly starts at really at creation of humankind because he goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Cain and Abel, and he begins to show by faith how men and women have, have lived for God by faith. Many of these men and, and women, as, as Paul goes through this, they, they didn't have the luxuries that you and I have. They didn't have the Bible, many of them. They didn't have the word of faith. They didn't have the testimony of those that went before them. They were the pioneers of, of faith and of, our, and of the gospel. And so Paul says for us to look to them and look to their faith and that we should desire to live a life of similar um, steps of faith. I'll tell you what, living a life of faith is exciting. You know, to step out in faith and, and have to trust the Lord, 
You know, one of the, the, the blessings, right, and when, you know, as you, as you grow in your business and in things and as you seek the Lord, there's seasons where God may really bless you financially. And there's so many blessings in that because God wants to do that for you. And then there's other times where, you know, maybe financially God hasn't done that. And, and there's just as much blessing in that because you get to be in a season of life where you, you have to live by faith. You know, and for us in the United States, we've been very blessed right? We live amazingly blessed lives for the last hundred years because God has blessed our nation. And God has blessed our nation because we've stood by Israel and because this nation was founded on godly principles. And for so many years, you know, we've moved in the right direction. And now for so many years, we've moved away from the right direction as we've tried um, very hard in so many ways to get God out of our country. But we live very blessed lives. And so many places in the world to this day, they, they live meal to meal. You work today for tonight's meal. You work tomorrow for the next meal. And and as you live your life that way, it it really forces you to have to trust God in all the things in your life. You know, I've asked God for faith stories. It's kind of a crazy thing. It's like asking God for trials and tribulations. God, will you give me something really hard? Like you got to have a lot of faith to do that or be really stupid. One of the two. But it was a challenge, and we, it happened kind of in a men's ministry where we just, you know, we were studying the concept that in life God puts us through difficult things. That, that, that we shouldn't expect that if we're Christ followers, we'll never face difficult things. And that in the difficult things, God does, he creates character and patience and blessing and all the things the word of God promises that God builds in your heart only through trials and tribulations. And so we said, well, what if, if God does all this good work in us that we learn and we grow and we become better people as we face hard things in life, why not ask God to give us some hard things? But, but not only hard things, I can remember when I became a, a pastor, um, a senior pastor. I was an assistant pastor all my adult life until six years ago. I became a senior pastor for the first time. And six years ago as the senior pastor, I was teaching, and, and I was telling all of the faith stories of my pastor and all the times where he stepped out in faith and all these cool stories that he would share over the years that were in my heart. And, and as I was teaching, I was constantly sharing his faith stories. And they were good stories. But I said, God, I want my own faith stories. But again, that's, that's, that's either really, really faithful or really dumb, one of the two. Because, you, you know, in order to get faith stories, you've you got to step out. And the first one came. I shared it last Wednesday or last Sunday. The first one came when we, when we rented this first building of this church. And we had negative $200. And God told me by faith that we were supposed to rent this side. And I got excited because I had no money. I had no way to to physically make it happen. So I knew if God called me, there was only one way it was going to happen, is if God did a miracle. And I was going to put my neck out and step out, believing that God was going to have to show up and do a miracle. And and we said as a church, as we came to um, needing $80,000 as a church, that's a lot of money. And God faithfully provided it in one Sunday. And when we stepped out in faith, that day, it was it, the, the whole idea was so exciting because it was like, we're, we're going to go to the edge of the Red Sea. And, and you know, what, what do you think it felt like for the, for the Hebrews who stood on the edge of the Red Sea and the Egyptian army is coming? Like, like you're going to die. I was going to tell the joke that preceded that. I didn't have time. I just get to the punchline. You're going to die. Like when your friend gets bit by a snake and you've got to run to the doctor and go back. Uh, you're going to die. What did the doctor say? So the nation of Israel is there, and they're going to die. There's only one way they're not going to die. What is that? 
if God shows up and does something miraculous, like something that has never been done, never been seen before, and he parts the Red Sea. So, so to have, as a Christian, right, to have the opportunity to stand at the Red Sea and live our lives in such a way that, man, if God doesn't show up in my situation and part the sea that's in front of me, I'm going to die. Things are not going to go well. You don't get opportunity like that all the time. And the more the Lord blesses us financially, sometimes we can write a check to solve problems. But I tell you, we, we asked God. We said, God, we, we want to have opportunities to live by faith. To step out in faith. And, and you know, it doesn't always mean that you're in crisis. It's not, that's not the definition of living by faith. Living by faith could, it just means just exactly that. And we all have to, we all do live by faith. How many of you guys have seen Jesus in the flesh? Nobody? Me neither. But, we, but we're here to serve him. We're here to worship him. We will one day. We believe that by faith. We live our lives by faith. The very essence of our, our faith, our, our, of, our, of our walk is by faith. But to have opportunities really to, to step out, to hear God lead and guide and live our lives of faith. Well, anyways, we get these um, amazing examples. And that's where we are again, Hebrews. We better get to it. I'd like to finish it today. It says in, in verse 17, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Abraham, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, which he also received him in a figure of sense. So, so God called you and I to remember a story of Father Abraham from Genesis chapter... One person, somebody know the answer. Oh, so close. 12 and 2, somebody said. We'll drop the 1. Genesis 22. Okay, Genesis 22, your reading assignment when you leave here today. Genesis 22. Actually, you only got to read like the first 20 verses, you'll get the story. In Genesis 22, now Abraham, I want you to understand something about it, about Father Abraham. When, when you begin in Genesis, you get to Garden of Eden, God creates the seven days, um, Adam and Eve's story. And um, by the time you get to Genesis chapter 6, you've come to a character in the Bible named Noah. And Noah um, experiences the flood of Noah, and the whole world besides eight people died. And, and, then, and then generations began to grow back on the earth. By the time you get to chapter 11, you've come to Abraham. Well, at that point, you have 40 more chapters of Genesis, but you've read, and, and 100 and, or how many ever more chapters of the entire New Testament, 700 more chapters of Old Testament, I'm sorry, Genesis, by the time you get to Genesis chapter 11, You've reached the halfway point of the Old Testament. Roughly, the Old Testament covers about 4,000 years. Abraham lives in the middle of that at the 2,000-year mark. So the rest of the Old Testament covers up to the 2,000 years of Jesus. So Abraham, who lived 400 years before Moses, 400 years before the law of Moses was ever given. So, so that's where we are. And God brings us back to this story in Genesis chapter 22. And the, and the story is a prophecy of the coming Messiah. The story is a detailed event of how Messiah, when he comes, will die on a cross. So Abraham, God tells Abraham, and if you read the story, it's one of those stories that will make the hair stand up on the back of your neck when you start to realize how detailed Genesis 22 is of, of the account of Jesus and the similarities that happen exactly as they will happen 2,000 years later when Jesus is going to die on a cross. So Abraham, who he 
75, God gives him a promise he's going to have a son. And, and, and somewhere between 75 and 100, when God fulfilled this promise, Abraham waits faithfully, well, not quite faithfully, he waits 25 years for this promise to be fulfilled. And it's somewhere in the middle, his wife, she comes to him and she says, God's not going to show up and fulfill this promise between you and I, Abraham. Take Hagar, my handmaiden, and, and have a child with him. And I'll stand next to her as the baby's being born. And we'll call this the child of, of blessing. And so Abraham says, go into your handmaiden. Okay, don't pull my arm, you know. And he goes and he, he goes into Hagar and they have a son, Ishmael, who to this day is the father of the Arab nation which is still at war with Israel to this day. And they try to help God out, and they create a huge problem. And then Abraham begs God, and he says, God, Ishmael might live before you. Just accept Ishmael as the son of promise. And God says, no, I won't accept Ishmael. He's the son of the, God calls him the son of the flesh. And then eventually, Abraham at age 99, Sarah at age 89, they have a child, son of promise. And they name him Isaac. And 33 years later, after waiting and after this big ordeal in Abraham's life and everything that his life was made up to this point, surrounded this son that God said he would give to Abraham. Abraham didn't function physically. His wife had passed menopause. She didn't physically have the parts that she needed to bear children. And supernaturally, God gave her a son. And then, and then they lived and enjoyed this fulfilled promise of God. And when Abraham, when Isaac was, I believe, 33 years old, because that's the age Jesus was when he died, and the story is the same exact story, and Isaac had to be a willing vessel to go, so he needed to be able to overpower his father because nobody took Jesus' life. He willingly gave it. And Abraham puts wood on Isaac's back, and Isaac carries this wood up to a particular place that God points out that, that, that he should sacrifice his son. And, and, and God calls Abraham. And it says in Genesis 22, take now thy son, thy only son. Well, hold on. Abraham had two sons. It wasn't his only son. Did God make a mistake? No, God didn't recognize the son of the flesh. He doesn't, work, he doesn't recognize the work of our flesh. He only recognizes the work of his spirit, the work of, of what he's done. And so he only recognized Isaac as the son of blessing. And he says, Abraham, take your son, now your only son, up onto Mount Moriah to a place I will show you, the place, definite article in the Hebrew, the place that I will show you and kill him. Is God crazy? It is kind of crazy, right? The whole story. Like, take, take my son and sacrifice him? And it's brutal. It's intended to be brutal. If you've ever seen him sacrifice the lambs and the sheep for the, that the Lord required, it's very violent and ugly. It's very brutal. There's a documentary, and there's a, there a Christian guy, and he traveled to Israel, and he wanted to demonstrate the, what the practicality of what the, 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 the sheep that were killed in Israel every year. And it's, it's brutal. It's violent. Violent death. Slight. I don't want to get into it. The blood. And, but it's supposed to be. It's a picture of the death of Jesus Christ. And that was violent. And that was bloody. And that was ugly. So Abraham takes his son Isaac, and, and, and he puts the wood on Isaac's shoulders as Jesus carried the cross from the praetorium down the Via Della Rosa to the place. And, and Abraham takes him up onto Mount Moriah, the same exact place, 2,000 years later, exact, exact place on, human, on planet Earth that Jesus would die 2,000 years later. And Abraham lays Isaac onto the altar. Now Isaac is a grown man. His father's 130 years old. He could have beat him up and said, dude, you lay down on there. I'm not laying down. And Abraham takes a knife, a big knife. He puts it over his head. 
and, and he begins to thrust the knife into his son's chest. And, 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 and there needed to be a point in Abraham's heart where God was, it says God was testing his faith, that he needed to know that he was going to go through with it. And so I'm sure as soon as he had that moment where he began, the Lord said, Aah! I wonder if the tip of the knife just touched Isaac's chest, like, ping, as he came down trying to stop. God says, stop, Abraham, stop. He said, there's a ram caught in the thicket. Abraham looks over his shoulder, and sure enough, there's a wild ram, and his, his horns are stuck in the bush. And, and then there's, a, very, there's, there's a, a prophecy given in Genesis 22, because the wording says, God will provide himself a lamb. Not for himself, this, this lamb of flesh, but that a future prophecy that God will provide himself as the lamb. And Jesus, God in the flesh, came and fulfilled the prophecy. And so then Abraham takes Isaac and he replaces him with the lamb. And together they sacrifice the lamb as the story goes. What, what an act of faith, right? What a tremendous step of faith. What, what even makes it more, we get this from Genesis or anywhere in the Old Testament. But here we get some detail from the writer that adds some, some color to Genesis 22 that's so powerful. It says that... Um, Verse 19, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. You know what Abraham believed in his mind? That God was going to, he was going to, he believed he was just going to kill Isaac. The knife was going to go through his chest. He was going to pronounce him dead. And then God was going to raise him up from the dead. How many people at this point in human history had been, had God raised from the dead? Not a person. Way before anybody ever was, was risen from the dead in human history. That would come later. God would begin to do this with a few people. Eventually with his son. So even more faith that it took for Father Abraham to, to go through with this, this, this killing, this, this issue, this picture that God was trying to create. You remember when God said to Moses, we read it last, uh, we read it here in Hebrews 11 a couple weeks ago. God said to Moses, I'm going to give you the instructions to build the temple and, and make sure that you do it exactly the way I tell you. Remember that? The reason why is because the temple is a picture of Christ. It's a picture of relationship. It's a picture of entering in. It creates something bigger than just the temple itself. So make sure you follow the, all the details that I give you because I don't want you to mess up any of the analogy, any of the pictures, any of the, that, that, that process that goes into that. And same thing with Abraham. It was all a picture of, of future coming Messiah that, you know, to this day, I don't know how you could be, I guess because the Bible says the Lord has blinded their eyes. They can read that and, and not see that that's talking about Jesus. It's so obvious. So it's so obvious that it's a picture of Jesus. But Abraham, again, he just believed that God would raise him from the dead. In the story back in Genesis, he told the, the, the servants that went with him, he said, you wait here. The lad and I will go up and we will come back to you because Abraham in his heart believed by faith that something was going to happen, that they were going to come back. Do you know how long the journey took for Abraham and Isaac to get from their place to Mount Moriah? Three days, of course, of course, three days. All right, then it says in verse 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Now, some of these things you might say, wow, in comparison how is this a, a mention of faith? How does this make the faith hall of fame? 
Abraham was willing to kill his only son, a son he waited to be 100 years, and these guys are in the same category as Abraham, and all they did was bless their children. How is that in the hall of faith? I want to tell you that, that God recognizes it, and so obviously it does compare, that, that, that by faith we pronounce blessing over our children over the next generation. You know, it's something that we, I don't know how well we do here, because culturally as Christians it's something that we, we just don't do, or maybe as Americans. But in Israel, and it's very common, and it's just normal, it's in the same way in Africa. If you ever go to Africa, or if you, you do some missions work with certain um, orphanages, children's villages, places in Africa, they have the same culture. But when you go to Israel, and let's say you were invited to dinner to come to somebody's house, and you come to to you, hi Jason, how are you? This is, this is my son, Noah. He's going to be a doctor. Well, Noah's four years old. And, and this, is, this is my daughter, uh, so-and-so, and she is... Sarah, and Sarah, she's going to be a lawyer. Poor Sarah. And, and that's the way, just culturally Israel, it's not, not abnormal, that's the way they introduce their children to you. They'll tell you at four years old, five years old, when, when you meet a child in Africa in some of these villages, the same kind of concept. And they teach the children at a young age to pick a profession, something they desire, and, and, and hi, you know, in a really very American, English, African accent, my name, is, my name is Noah, I'm going to be a firefighter. As you meet these children, because this pronounced blessing. But I'll tell you, listen, it's not hokey. It's by faith. And and listen, it says it's going to double down. Look at the very next verse, 23. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. Do you know who thinks babies are beautiful? (laughs) Only the mom. (laughs) Everybody else like, oh, it's a baby. You know, I do lots of baby dedications, and I love them. And some people come up, oh, my baby, isn't he beautiful? What do you think? I go, oh, it's a baby. <laughs> I tell them the truth. But, but how did they see that Moses was special and gifted? It says at the top of verse 23, what? By faith. They couldn't tell Moses was going to be a deliverer of the nation of Israel, that he was going to do more miracles in human history than anybody that ever lived at 18 months old. By faith, his parents believed that God could do something amazing in his life. And so they pronounced blessing on him. And by faith, they put him in a basket and they don't, they don't let him kill him. By faith, as parents, you know, it's something, again, it's important. You know, I, 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 I've understood this concept. And again, I don't know how well it is. But in the next story, which we'll get to in a second, is um, when, when Abraham, you've got to remember this with me because I'm going to get it confused and mess it up, but I always got to go back to it. But you've got to know it too as Christians, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the progression. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A- God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham's the first one, then Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. Jacob's name was later changed to Israel. And Israel becomes the father of 12 sons, technically 13. Um, and those 12 sons are the 12 tribes of Israel. It's how to get the, 12, the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name was later changed to Israel, governed by God. Israel had 12 sons, the 12 nations, the 12 patriarchs. Well, when, 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 Abraham, when Isaac went to bless his sons, Esau and Jacob, it says that he blessed them by faith. And that when Jacob went to bless the 12 sons of Israel, when it came to Joseph, Joseph was replaced as one of the tribes of Israel. Joseph was the second to youngest of the 12 boys. He was number 11. Benjamin was number 12. And and the tribe of Jacob, you want 
see them listed. When you see the 12 tribes of Israel listed in the Bible, Jacob is missing, and it's replaced with Jacob's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. So Ephraim and Manasseh, when they came to to Isaac to be blessed, he was blind, and he came in, and and he switched his hands. And Joseph got upset, and he said, Father, you, you have your right hand on my youngest son and your left hand on my oldest son. You need to switch them. Because there was, there was a real patriarchal blessing that God honored with the right hand going to the oldest and the left hand going to the youngest. And there was real blessing that was, that was pronounced and came down. And so the father said, he said, man, I, Joseph, I know, I understand. The, younger will, the, the older will serve the younger in this case. And God is giving the younger a double portion. And so I know what I'm doing in pronouncing this blessing prophetically. And then when in the next story, when it comes to Esau and Jacob, do you remember that story? Jacob came in, um, um, he tells him, go out and cook me wild game. And, and then Esau or Jacob comes in and he puts goat hair on his skin and he kills the goat. Him and his mom come up with this plan to trick their father to get this blessing. And, and then he comes and he touches his, his arm and he's like, that's the Jacob's arm. And he says, that's the hair of my son Esau, but the voice of Jacob. He says, oh, it's me, Esau. Bless me, bless me, bless me. And Jacob steals Esau's blessing. Well, well when, when Esau gets home, the father has already blessed Jacob and given him the blessing of the firstborn because Esau was born first. They were twins, Esau and Jacob. Jacob came out holding the heel of Esau. They were fighting. The, the mom was pregnant. She was saying, God, why is it so tumultuous? And, and, and the God said, because you have two nations that are warring in your, in your womb. And, and, and they were fighting. And when, when Harry came out, and they called, he came out and he was Harry, and so they said, Harry, Esau, which means Harry. And then Jacob came out holding Esau's heel, and so the term means heel catcher. Jacob is not really a, uh, like a, it means heel catcher. It actually means surplanter, deceiver. So he comes out holding his brother's heel, and sure enough, both of the boys grow up and, and kind of fit this stereotype. Esau's a hunter and a man's man, and he goes out and he hunts wild game, and Esau's like, wears skinny jeans and hangs out with his mom and bakes cookies and, 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 and is kind of just different personalities. So the father naturally favors Esau and this man's man a little bit. And, he, and he's the oldest and he's supposed to receive the blessing. So he says, Esau, go hunt. So as Esau leaves again now, Jacob comes. And so when Esau gets back, Jacob's already stole the blessing, told his daddy was Esau. Esau comes back. A lot to say this. Sorry, it was a lot just to say to, the, to get to this point. When, when Esau comes back and he says, Father, bless me, his dad doesn't say, oh, shoot, I gave it to the wrong one. Here, let me give you a blessing. What does he say? I can't. I already gave it to, the, to, the, to, to Jacob. I thought he was you. But he's going to receive everything that I prophesied over him. He's going to receive those blessings. There's a power in this prophecy that I gave him that God, is, God ordained and blessed, and I can't take it back. And I can't give it to you because I've already given it to him. And, and, and listen, this, this concept, this biblical concept of receiving blessing from the Father, passing it on to our children, again, we don't exercise that way. And I understand even myself is a little confusing. And, and I'm pointing out that we have some biblical precedents, and, and we need to and want to, what we want to take away from this is step out in faith in this area. You know, there's other faiths, and I think maybe they probably got it better than I do. But sometimes I'll have people that will find out, and they're from other faiths, and they'll find out I'm a pastor or, or, you know, a leader in the Christian church. And they'll say to me, hey, will you come and pronounce a blessing over, um, over my car, over my house? Will you come and pronounce a blessing over my kids? And their concept is that I have the power to, to 
pass a blessing over their house or over their kids or something. And to me, I'm like, yeah, it kind of feels weird. Like, I don't feel like I have that power. But actually, I'm reading the New Testament, right? Like, I'm, I'm, but there is, by faith, the ability for us to, to grasp that. And especially, now maybe not, you know, don't start calling me to come bless your car that's going to race or something if you've got a race car. But, um, but I, I, wanna, I want for you, especially in the area of just your children and the people around you, to step out because it's biblical, it's true, it's real, um, in the area of faith of pronouncing blessing over the folks that are around you, especially your children. This is my son speaking to them. When I was 19 years old, I was fully addicted to drugs. I weighed 60 pounds less than what I did a year earlier when I graduated from high school. My girlfriend was pregnant out of wedlock. I was headed nowhere. I was beginning a a criminal life to, to keep up with my drug habit. At 19 years old, how many of you guys would look at me and say, Hey, I want to introduce you to my friend. This is, this is Chris. He's going to be a pastor one day. God's going to give him a family. going to give him four beautiful kids and a wife that loves him. Nobody would say that, right? How could you say that over my life at 19 years old? Only one way. How? By faith, right? By faith, by hope. And so maybe you say, well, pastor, I can't, I can't bless my kids. They're rotten. Well, yeah, they probably are. That's okay. But pronounce blessing over them in faith and in hope. Are they the same person today they're going to be? Have they reached their potential today? No. So in, in faith, this is a biblical concept. But when, and do definitely be careful. You know, I don't know all the details, so don't quote me on this. And I heard this, and I'm just going to repeat something I heard, which is a no-no when you public speak. But listen, there was a study of, of women who were very promiscuous lifestyles, secular study. And in order to qualify for the study, these women had to have five children from five different dads. And if you met that criteria, they began to study your life. And the secular study wanted to try to pinpoint what caused, if there was some similarity that caused all of these women to have five kids with five different dads and, 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 and have a, a promiscuous lifestyle. And then there was five things that they defined. I don't know all of them, but the number one definition of what they defined was was consistent. In every case that they studied was every one of these women lacked a positive male um, influence that gave them um, positive touch, kisses that were healthy, affection in in their life. Whether it was a dad or, um, you know, it didn't necessarily even have to be a dad. Dad would, would meet the need. But every one of these women didn't have a man in their lives growing up that gave them positive physical touch, that hugged them and kissed them and cuddled them and played with them and and gave them um, affection, physical affection in a healthy way. And so they found that physical physical touch in a sexual way with men. And, And they didn't receive these same things, words of affirmation and words of confirmation and words of blessing over over their childhood. And listen, I don't know that I received any of that stuff growing up and I was all messed up and Jesus came in and saved me anyways. So, you know, Jesus, Jesus is going to do what he's going to do because he loves us. And God, absolutely, people can. But at the same time, if you have control over those things today, speak words of affirmation to your children. Find a, a, something that they're good at that they like to do and recognize it. You know, you, you, you're funny. You, you, you love people. You, I believe you're going to be a missionary one day. You're going to preach the Bible one day. You're going to be an engineer one day. Let them get to the point where they identify what they like to do and confirm and affirm those things in their lives. And by faith and hope, speak blessing over our children. Amen? 
You know, I used to tell this joke, and it was a joke, and knowing this information, this is not new, really, some kind of concept that I've always kind of tried to do as a father, but even knowing this, I'd tease, you know, because my, my youngest son, Caleb, when he was really young, like, he had his own personality, not manufactured, but we called him Mad Dog, because he was like, true story, when, when, he, was, when he was just a baby, we were like at Denny's or something, and we're, we're ordering, and we said, hey, would you like Happy Face Pancakes? Because it was on the menu. He looked at us, and he said, I want mad face pancakes. <laughs> that was his personality, just this how he processed life. So I would say, you know, my, my oldest son, this is, he's gonna, this is Luke. My oldest son, he's going to be a pilot. And this is my middle son, Nate. And he was always super athletic from the time he was born. So I'd say, my middle son, Nate, he's going to play football for USC. And this is my youngest son, Caleb. He's going to serve a life sentence in San Quentin. <laughs> and I was kidding. I was kidding. I, he's still going to kill people for a living. He's just going to do it with honor. He's going to be like some high up military. Like he's going into the military. He's going to serve in the IDF and uh, do those kind of things, you know. So, But that's the personality God gave him. And so, all right, we better move on. <laughs> hey, one more concept and then we're done. Um, it says in verse 25, it says, no, no, let's. By faith, Moses, let's just go 23. We covered a little bit. Let's go again. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Okay, look at your neighbor and say, sin is fun. But let's not. <laughs> okay, listen, this is a biblical concept, the passing pleasures of sin. Now, I've got to try to do this in a nutshell, so bear with me, okay? Moses' life breaks up into three 40-year periods. When Moses was born, um, Pharaoh was killing Hebrew boys because the nation of Israel as slaves in Egypt was growing in millions. And the Pharaoh was afraid that if he just left it unchecked, eventually Israel would become a bigger and healthier nation than Egypt itself, and they could militarily overthrow them. His, his solution was to put midwives, Egyptian midwives, in the house of all the Hebrews, and when the, when the women gave birth, to take the male children and throw them to the alligators in the Nile River, and to take the female children and let them be raised in the homes. And so this began to become law when the time Moses was born. And by faith, his parents hid him, and they, and they dropped him in the Nile River in a basket. He came to the feet of the Pharaoh of Egypt's daughter, and she had passion, compassion on him, and she raised him as her own daughter. So Moses grew up being weaned to become the next Pharaoh of Israel as the grandson of the sitting Pharaoh, which means he would have been educated in Yales and Harvards. He would have had wealth and riches. I mean, if, if your grandfather and you live in his house is the Pharaoh and you're going to be the next Pharaoh, you, you live a pretty prestigious lifestyle. Moses probably drove a Lamborghini to high school. He had all the pleasures of the world. At 40 years old... He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, and he went and he killed the Egyptian, thinking that the nation of Israel would understand that God called him. And they didn't. And so he fled. He fled Egypt, and for the second perfect 40 years of his life, from 40 to 80, he, was, he was very, lived in obscurity. And God was working in his heart and making him humble and teaching him and training him. And he took the lowest job that was on planet Earth at the time, became a shepherd. And he led animals around the wilderness. He got married. He had a couple of kids. 
and lived in obscurity in in the wilderness for 40 years in the Midianite desert. At 80 years old, a bush appeared to him on fire, and it got his attention. And when he came to the bush, the bush remained on fire, but wasn't consumed. And God began to speak to Moses through the burning bush. And he said, I want you to go to Israel, or go to Egypt, and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And from 80 to 120, Moses led the third section of his life of leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt and through the wilderness to the edge of modern Israel, the Jordan River, they would cross over right about where the city of Jericho is today, and, and Moses dies there, and Joshua leads the people into the, the promised land. So, so Moses, he, in this um, third trimester of his life, um, or I'm sorry, in the second, at age of 40, it says that he chose the passing, or I'm sorry, the people of God, verse 25, choosing rather to suffer than affliction with the people of God, then, why is this hard? Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ. Now, how could Moses esteem the reproach of Christ 2,000 years before Christ was born? And then it says, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. So listen, here's the point. There, there is a passing pleasure in sin. Moses recognizes that. There were some perks of Egypt that were pretty nice, being the Pharaoh's grandson. But he rather chose to go to the Midianite desert and be nobody. He rather tr- chose the reproach of Christ than, than, the, than, than the, the passing pleasures of sin and luxuries of the world. Is sin fun? Sin is fun. If sin wasn't fun, you wouldn't do it. The devil doesn't show up and, and with a pitchfork and, and breath smelling like sulfur and a tail and on fire and say, ah, come join me and go to hell for the rest of your life. Who would follow that? Who wants to do that? No, not me. It's not what he does. He puts a carrot out in front of you and he dangles something and, and he, or a piece of some, chocolate, something that's, that's pleasurable for a season. And you chase something that, that you can never obtain. But sin is absolutely fun for a season. But here's the difference. The sin that Moses here decided to get rid of in his life, decided to pass on the passing pleasures of sin, when when you do those things, when you indulge in the things that are not of God, that are of Satan, that are sinful in your life, and they do bring a certain pleasure for a season, the the, the issue is that when you do those things, they come with two added added things in your life. Because Satan's going to give you, number one, an invoice. There's going to be a price you're going to pay for that passing pleasure of sin. So sin is fun for a season until Satan shows up and says, okay, here's the price that you're going to pay. When God blesses your life, there's no invoice attached. God's not going to show up later and expect something for what he's given you in blessing. But But when Satan shows up, he always has an invoice with all the passing pleasures of sin. And the second thing, unfortunately, is that if those passing pleasures of sins are indulged long enough, there's a trap at the end of them. There's a bear trap. And, and, and many of those passing pleasures of sin become bondage and addiction that destroy lives. They become alcoholism and drug addiction and sex addiction. I don't know if you guys seen this week, but, you know, it's not going to stop, unfortunately. And it hurts every time. But another Christian leader this week has come out and admitted to, to um, having a sex addiction and sexual sins. 
and put his, his life on hold. Thankfully, he wasn't a pastor or missionary or any of those things, but he was a leader, looked at as a leader among Christians. And, you know, there, there's, there's an invoice and there's a price to pay. You know, and, and, there, and, and that bear trap, again, how, how many, let's put it this way. Can you guys pretend to be a bear for me for a minute, like in the wilderness? Okay, if you're a bear in the wilderness, and you see one of them big nasty traps that, you know, with the hooks on all the sides are going to come up, and it's just sitting out in the middle of the, of the wherever you are in the forest, how many, how many of you bears in the wilderness is going to walk in and go, oh, bear trap? Nobody, of course, right? Like if, if, the, if the bear trapper wants to uh, successfully trap the bear, he disguises the trap and he covers it. And, and again, Satan works that way. The Bible says that Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. You know, the Bible says, I, I, one of the verses I quote almost weekly is that the Father is seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth. And we want to be a church caught worshiping Jesus and worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. And just as the Father is seeking those who are worshiping him, the Bible says Satan is roaming, seeing who he can devour. And it's real. Spiritual battles is real. Satan has a a specific plan for your life. Because it won't work in my life. It won't work in the person's next to you life. But a specific plan to derail and destroy your life. And Moses here understood that the passing plan, that that he, he, he didn't want that part of his life, and he'd rather walk with the Lord. So you make some sacrifices in your life. You start dealing with this sin in your life. And unfortunately, as you know, if we don't deal with the sin that's in our lives, it's going to start to deal with us because Satan is going to show up in our lives with an invoice and it's going to affect the people we love the most. It's going to affect our wives and our kids and our families. And we're not going to be able to hide it. And I just encourage you, you know, that, that there is a passing pleasure of sin and such a danger, such a danger. But listen, you know, the Bible says conversely about Jesus. It says that he's come that you might have life. And that more abundantly. God wants to give you that life. It's so ironic. We run from God. We run from Jesus. We run from the one who wants to do those things in our life that we seek. And we run towards the bear trap. And the whole time God is there just saying, no, I, I love you. Don't do that. You know? You know how, how, how you know, a guy that robs a bank. He didn't start robbing banks. Probably stored at five, six, seven, eight years old stealing a Snickers bar. His mom took him to the store, and then it become ten bucks at school, or twenty bucks at a there and there. And eventually, you grow into these things, and that's the way it works. And we move towards those things. And God wants nothing more than to bless your life. Do you think that you know one of the concepts of the Bible? And I am going to be done, you guys. I promise. I'm even going to close my Bible. Listen, one of the concepts of um, of God is that God wants to bless your life. Jesus said, "I have come that you might have life, and that more abundantly." And, and, and that, you know, in King David, and God was so close with King David. In one situation, in one story in King David's life, God's a little bit heartbroken in, the, broken in this conversation. And he says, David, he says, didn't I give you so much? What did I withhold from you? And then he says this to King David. And if you wanted more, I would have gave it to you. You didn't have to do those things. I'm not withholding blessing from you. I want to bless you. I, I, I want your best interest. I want to give you what your heart desires. On uh, yesterday, I've been waiting for this day. My daughter came in with a stomach ache because she ate too much candy. Oh. Good day. 
and I told her, we have a big bowl from, th- from Halloween, thanks to all you folks, sitting on the counter. And so she's eating all this candy, and every five minutes, can I have a piece, can I have a piece? Well, she had enough, and she came in, oh. She ate too much candy, got a little tummy ache. Too much of a good thing is not a good thing anymore, right? And so God, God wants to give you absolutely what you need. But sometimes he doesn't want to give you too much candy because you're going to get a tummy ache. And he's, he's withholding things from you because he loves you, because he's a good father. But at the same time, he, if you want more, ask. And let's, let's, let's repent from those things that, that, that are, come with an invoice and a trap. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Let's have the worship team come up. Close us in a song, please. If you're here today and uh, you would like individual prayer, we'd like to invite you guys to come up for individual prayer. Uh, Kevin and Darlene, Pat, take this side. Kevin and Darlene, will you guys take this side? And um, if anyone would like individual prayer, we encourage you to come up and, and allow us to pray for you. If you want to ask Jesus in your heart to be your Lord and Savior, come up and, and these guys will pray with you to do that and, and get your life right. If you have some besetting sin in your life or some struggle. Next week, if you're reading ahead, we're going to start in chapter 12 next week. We missed a few verses in the end of 11, so read through those. And as you get to 12, um, you'll see the first verse of 12 says that um, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weights and the sins which so easily ensnare us and look unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And so these weights and sins are in two different classes. Some of them are just things that weigh us down that just you maybe you're not even in a sin category, but they're just weighing our lives down. And God says, let them go. It says lay aside the weights and the sins. And maybe there's things that are just outright black and white sin in your life and just you need to ask God to take those things from you. And so I encourage you guys as we pray and as you sing just to, to do those two things. There's a besetting sin to repent of that and ask you to get your heart and life right with the Lord. And God wants to bless you. God wants to do it. And maybe you just need some help. Maybe you've been struggling through something and you've been praying about something just haven't had victory yet. Listen, keep seeking. Keep knocking. Keep asking. Don't ever let the devil tell you it's time to stop asking or seeking because you don't have victory. You'll have victory. Just keep, keep knocking. Keep seeking. Keep asking. Amen? Amen. Father, we come and we thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we, we, we know that you're a God of love and of relationship and you're a God of yes and no. And Lord, if you tell us no, that we've already had enough candy, it's just stop. It's for our good. And Lord, that, that if there's something in that, that we desire, that you'll bless us. You told King David, I, I would have given you more if you just asked. And, and Lord, that some of us maybe have been seeking and enjoying the passing pleasures of sin. Father, help us to, to, to see and Lord, to repent and change. Lord, to know that those things are going to hurt us. They're going to hurt our family. They're going to hurt people that we love because they come with an invoice. And that God, you have something better. And that as we turn from those weights and the sins which so easily ensnare us, that we do look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So God, help us to look to Jesus. Bless our day, Lord. Bless our lives. Bless our week. Lord, we thank you for uh, tonight. Pray over the concert tonight, over Matt Baird coming out. And just ask your blessing over each person tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you guys. If you need individual prayer, please come up. we got one last song. And then if not, we'll see you guys tonight at 6 o'clock for Matt Baird.